0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: I'm really excited about this study this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and we have been in this gospel of Matthew and particularly in chapter 5 for several months now. So uh, we, we, we're getting there. We're getting to the close and and uh, we're in no rush because we're just waiting for Jesus to come. Amen. So no big rush but uh, we've been here for quite a while. If you haven't been with us, we've been doing a study on the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5 and And I like to say that this is the greatest sermon ever preached because it is preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. His name is Jesus. And it's Jesus who is sitting on the hillside in the area of the Galilee. And his disciples have come to him. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about true Christian character and conduct. And Jesus makes this very shocking statement as we looked at it last week in verse 20 of chapter 5. Jesus utters some very shocking words as he says to his disciples. He says, unless your righteousness righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise, no way, there's no hope for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is pretty shocking. Why? Why? Because everyone knew that the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees could not be exceeded. I mean, these were the most righteous men to have ever walked the face of the earth. Outwardly righteous. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Unless your righteousness to the disciples exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, there is no way that you can get into the kingdom of God. This would blow the minds of the disciples. Now, the Sermon on the Mount. There have been some who say that they live by the Sermon on the Mount. It's in my humble opinion that the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most misunderstood passage in the Bible. Probably the most, number one, the most misunderstood passage in the Bible. There are many people who say, well, I just live by the Sermon on the Mount. And if I live by the Sermon on the Mount, then I'm a Christian. I've had people say that, you have too, probably. Some people say, well, I'll just do the Ten Commandments. If I live by the Ten Commandments and do good things and be a good person, then I am a Christian. Some say it's what I do and what I don't do that makes me a Christian. Now, that cannot be true because if that is true, listen, if that is true, then I can prove to you that my dog is a Christian. How? Because my dog doesn't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. (laughs) He doesn't. My dog doesn't do certain things. And so if being a Christian simply boils down to what you do or what you don't do, well, for that matter, then we could say that we could consider Satan a Christian. Because the Bible says Satan appears as an angel of light. So what you do and what you don't do really is not the essence of true Christianity. What you do outwardly cannot be the essence of true righteousness and faith in God. And this is exactly Jesus' point here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in this section that Jesus takes the traditional view of the law. And he shows the moral intent behind it. How the heart applies and how what kind of heart is behind the law is more important than the outward appearance or the outward fulfilling of the law. It's a matter of the heart. And this is what the Pharisees always consistently always missed. You see, they thought if they do this or not do that, then they were fulfilling the law and thus they could say that they were righteous. They were missing the heart behind it. You see, it's all a matter of the heart. We get caught up in what we do and what we don't do. We get caught up in the legalistic ritual of being a Christian. And we even, like Pharisees, lose the heart behind what Jesus is teaching. Well, the Bible is very clear. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, so is he. If you think about the wrong thing long enough, you're going to find yourself doing it. I mean, how many people say, you know, I don't want to sin against God, but I, but I do. How many people? Now, you can tell the truth. You're in church. Okay, good. That's a good number of you. I, I, God, I want to please you. The spirit is willing, God. The flesh is weak. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, that which is in me, I I, want to do the right thing. I want to do what God wants me to do, but my flesh is warring against my spirit. You see, we want to do the right thing, but somehow we fall short. Why? Because it's a heart issue. Because you need a heart transplant. It's an issue of the heart. And this is what the Pharisees would miss. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they thought that if they could just control themselves, they would be righteous. Jesus is saying, no, listen, fellas, no. It's not about the outward activity, but the inward attitude. Not the outward activity, but the inward attitude. Notice in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Notice what Jesus says. If you're there, say amen. amen. Oh, that was a weak amen, you guys. If you're there, say amen. Look at verse 21, Jesus says, for you have heard, what we're going to do is read our text this morning, then we'll come back and pick up some pieces, how's that? In verse 21, Jesus says, we, you have heard it has been said of old, or to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment, but I say to you, that whosoever is angry, With his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there. Now I want you to circle that word, very important. You bring your gift to the altar and it is there where? At the altar that you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into a debtor's prison. Assuredly, I say to you, You will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. And in verse 27, you have heard that it has been said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, and pluck it out. And cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you. That one of your members perish. Than for your whole body. To be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off. And cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you. That one of your members perish. Than for your whole body. To be cast into hell. And then in verse 31. Furthermore. It has been said. Whoever divorces his wife. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you. Notice Jesus' authority. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Notice in verse 21 again, Jesus says, You have heard that it hath been said, you shall not murder. Here, Jesus is quoting, referring to the sixth commandment Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. Now, in our culture, in our world today, doesn't take long to see murder, the murder rate is on the rise. You know, it's an amazing thing to me that in the United States, we have inflation. Inflation is on the rise. It costs more to live, but life is cheap. Have you noticed that? Life is cheap. In the United States, this country is soaked in blood. The blood on the streets of many of our cities. I'm from the city of Philadelphia. And I just took a trip back there just a couple of weeks ago. And I was born and raised in Philly. And I'm telling you, there are still some neighborhoods. There are some neighborhoods today I wouldn't even think about going in. It's amazing what's happening in the United States. Murder on the rise. Killings on the rise. Abortion on the rise. This country is soaked in blood. Why? All because this country has rejected this one simple commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Now, you might say to me, Rodney, okay, fine, that's good, but but Jesus is not talking to me because I never killed anybody. Maybe that's what you're saying. Listen, before you get too far... Notice what Jesus says again in your Bibles. Notice he says, he goes on to say, but I say to you, he says, you shall not murder. But I say to you, Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. You see, the Pharisees taught that you should not murder. But anything short of that, they taught, might be allowed. Jesus is showing his authority he gets to the heart of the law and he says murder goes much deeper and beyond that you see just because you haven't physically killed someone or you haven't taken a knife and stabbed someone or taken a gun and shot someone and killed someone Jesus is simply saying look that doesn't constitute murder in and of itself. Just because you haven't killed someone physically doesn't mean you haven't murdered. If you are angry with your brother, you are in danger of judgment and a murderer. Jesus says, listen, murder doesn't necessarily begin when you take that weapon in your hand and apply it. Murder begins with anger and murder begins in your heart. It's interesting if you add a D onto the word anger, what word do you have? Danger. Anger leads to danger. Now I want you to notice something here in your text. Notice three illustrations or three steps that lead to murder. And they all begin with the word whosoever. Did you see that? Whosoever is angry without a cause. You are in danger of judgment. Whosoever says, Raka, is in danger of the council. Or an accusation will be brought before the council, that will be the Sanhedrin or the Supreme Court. And whosoever says, you fool, is in danger of hellfire. Interesting. This word raka, if you're taking notes, you wanna write this down. This is true, I'm not making this up. This word raka literally means blockhead. Isn't that funny? It's in the Bible. The word raka actually means nitwit. It means numbskull. It means bonehead. It means brainless and idiot. So to call someone raka expressed contempt for their intelligence. And you could be taken to the Sanhedrin or you could be taken to the council. And calling someone a fool. Showed contempt for their character. And you were in danger of hell's fire. You see the Pharisee said we don't murder. Outwardly, we don't murder. Jesus gets to the heart and says, Oh, although you haven't outwardly murdered, have you ever felt angry with someone? Or have you ever said raka to someone or fool or jerk? Jesus is saying, if you've ever did any of these things, whether in word or in heart, you are guilty of murder. And you may not have murdered someone physically, but you've murdered them With your words. You see, Jesus is getting to the heart. The Pharisees, they were all outward. Remember, they were all outward. Everything had to do with what you're seeing and and the outward appearance. And Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's all about the heart. Have you ever spoken an ill word to someone, called them a name, called them Raka in some way? If you've ever done that, Jesus says, you are guilty of murder. Whosoever is angry without a cause. Which tells us, sometimes there is cause to be angry. Sometimes you have cause to be angry. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to be angry, but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, the problem with us is we get angry and we go way over the top. We get angry and we start busting up walls and tearing down doors and throwing people out of windows I mean, we get angry and we find ourselves in the place of sin. Jesus got angry and he never sinned. There's nothing wrong with anger, but when your anger takes you to the place of sin, that's when it's wrong. I mean, we look at the in our culture today and you look at the news is so depressing. Depressing. I mean, child pornography and children being molested and all of the awful, awful things that go on in the world. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that you can be a Christian and these things not make you angry. But see, that's righteous anger or the Bible calls it righteous indignation. Jesus had righteous indignation. When Jesus showed anger or righteous indignation, get this, had you ever thought about this? Jesus' anger was always others-centered. Whenever Jesus got angry, he got angry because others were being hurt. Jesus never got angry because he was being hurt. Jesus never got angry because his feelings were being hurt. Jesus never got angry because he was ignored. Jesus never got angry because he was being dissed. He never did. Jesus' anger was righteous because it was others-centered. Jesus got angry when others were being hurt. Our anger is generally when we are being hurt. Jesus got angry. It amazes me to people who paint the picture of Jesus and he's, you know, the meek and mild and sweet Jesus who always woke up on the right side of the bed and he was always happy in the morning, Jesus glowing. That ain't the only Jesus I see in the Bible. The, the, the other side of Jesus was he went into the temple and what happened? He saw people making merchandise in his father's house and he got a whip and Jesus started running clean in the house. He whooped them. Now, that's the Jesus I like. That's the loving Jesus I like. He went in the temple. just like, psh, psh, get out of here. You make my father's house a den of thieves. My house shall be a house of prayer. You see, that's the other side of Jesus. We get angry on the other hand. We get angry because you hurt me. You ignored me. It was all about me. Our anger is generally very prideful. Isn't that true? And we get angry if somebody cuts us off on the 440 belt line. Man, and and you know, when when somebody cuts you off on a 440 belt line, there's only one thing to do. And it's the only God-fearing, God-loving thing that that you should do as a Christian. Chase them down and give them the evil look. Isn't that what you do? When somebody cuts you off, what do you do? You catch up to them, they cut you off, you go... I'm going to catch them. And you're driving like 150 miles an hour, you know, trying to catch them. And then when you catch up to them, you ride right by them and you go. This is what you do. This is the only godly thing to do. It's the only spiritual thing to do. I just say, look, if you're going to do that, that that's good. But just take, take the Jesus stickers off the back of your car, okay? Because you're being a really poor witness. I say, look, if you're going to run over them and then back up over them and then run over them again, you know, then just take the Jesus stickers off your car. I mean, be a a good godly witness, would you please help out? You know, the story is told of this little boy who asked his mommy. He said, mommy, why is it whenever daddy drives, all the idiots come out? (laughs) Hmm, it's true, sometimes. You see, Jesus said, look, watch out for unrighteous anger. When you're calling people idiots or you're calling people fools or you're calling them a jerk or an airhead, Jesus says this is the equivalent of murder. You're killing them and destroying their reputation. And that is why when somebody says to me, oh, well, I just live by the Sermon on the Mount. I just do what the Sermon on the Mount says to do. It tells me, number one, bing, you don't even understand the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you really understood the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount has everything to do with the heart behind what is taught, not just the outward. Look, if it's just all outward, then yeah, okay, most of us have not murdered someone. I mean, most of us have not. I can't speak for you all, but I'm just saying, most of us, hopefully you don't feel that urge right now, but but most of us have never murdered someone and that's a cool thing. That's a good thing. If it's just about outward, then okay, fine. Then I guess you can live the Sermon on the Mount. But if what Jesus is talking, because he says the law says, but I say, well then that takes the Sermon on the Mount a whole different level and nobody, absolutely nobody can live out the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is making a point in some way every single person in this room is a murderer you are sitting next to a murderer now don't move your seat right now but the truth this is what Jesus is saying notice in verse 23 he says if you have a gift and you're at the altar you're at the place of prayer and praise And you remember that your brother has something against you. Jesus says, get off your knees, go to your brother and seek to get it right with them. And then come back and continue your prayer and your praise. Now, does this mean that we should go and track down every person that has something against us? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. People will offend you. And you'll offend people. I offend people every week here. No comments from the peanut gallery, all right? But I don't mean to. I'm just teaching the Bible and trying to help you understand what the Word of God says. I'm not trying to be offensive. I just want to be truthful, and I want to be true to the Word of God. Is that all right? Amen? Is that all right? But but sometimes I will offend you. One brother came up to me one time and said, Ronnie, you know, I got to tell you, he says, you know, I've been holding art, art against you in my heart, and I want you to know that, that I forgive you. And I said, okay, uh, I didn't know that, but, you know, w- what for? And he says, well, some time ago you said something, and I, I thought you were an idiot, but I want you to know that I now forgive you. And I'm looking at him thinking, you know, I, I hope this is more freeing for you than it is for me, <laughs> because this is not freeing for me. You know, I hope this. I hope you feel better about it. But, you know, I think the, the point here is that, and Jesus is making the point that we need to be obedient in rectifying relationships and not dig up old stuff. Jesus says, listen, settle the problem between you and your brother before you settle the problem between you and your God. Well, so important. Now notice in verses 25 through 26, we're going to talk about this. I'm not going to spend the time this morning to talk about this now, but in verses 25 through 26, we're actually going to talk about this in depth next week in verses 38 through 42, as we talk about going the second mile with your brother. We'll talk about that. But for now, why don't we skip to notice in verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard it has been said to those of old, you shall not commit a Adultery. Adultery. Now, I don't think there's anyone that would disagree with me. Adultery is a problem in our country today. It is a real problem in our world today. And listen, the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. It was a problem. In, it's a problem in our world today. And guess what? It was a problem in Jesus day. It was a problem in the days of our Lord. Many have said, many scholars have said that Rome was a monument for sexual immorality. They tolerated it and they sanctified it and they put it in temples and they worshiped it. And so Jesus said, you've heard the scribes and the Pharisees say, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. Whosoever looks on a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery already. Jesus, again, is talking about the issues of the heart. He is not saying if you ever see a beautiful woman walk by, or lest I be discriminatory, I don't want to be. Ladies, unless you see a beautiful man, and and Satan will put a lustful thought in your mind just like that. And if you looked upon a a, a person and, and you've lusted in your heart, then you have committed adultery. That is not what's being taught here. And it's unfortunate that the church preachers and denominations have taught this for years. That is not what's being taught here. Jesus simply says, if you look upon a woman, this phrase, I'm not trying to impress you with Greek, and I'm not trying to bore you, but this phrase, looks upon a woman, is very interesting in the Greek language. It's written in the present tense.